You're listening to episode 55 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogel. In today's episode, I've got another monologue for you. One of the things I enjoy most about this podcast is occasionally taking some time to reflect on what I've been learning through my own writing and the process of writing. Today's episode is one of those lessons, simply entitled, Not at Another Person's Expense. As always, thanks for listening. When it comes to reading, I really enjoy authors who can manage to pull off humor in their writing. Particularly, I like witty humor. If you haven't already picked up Benjamin Dreyer's new style book, Dreyer's English, An Utterly Correct Guide to Clarity and Style, you should. Not only is it helpful, the book is hilarious. Okay, it's a book on grammar, so I might be pushing it by calling it hilarious. But for those of us writers, you'll be hard-pressed to find a book more educational and simultaneously funny to read or listen to. I often find myself trying to be clever and funny when I write. The vast majority of it gets cut upon my first reread. Usually it isn't that funny or that clever, but every once in a while I manage to find something I'm confident enough to leave in. When I was working on my Samson manuscript, there was one quip that worked really well. I was writing about how our childhood heroes have a more lasting impact on us than we usually acknowledge. I remembered a news interview in which Miley Cyrus forcefully explained to parents concerned about her recent behavior and stage antics that she wasn't all that interested in being their kid's role model. I quoted it and made a joke at Miley's expense. In my first round of revisions, I was proud of the joke. It seemed funny, one of the funnier moments I've had in my writing. But as I came back to it, something didn't feel right about it. I suddenly had the thought, what if Miley Cyrus someday read my book? Honestly, that could be the joke. There's about as much chance as Miley Cyrus reading my book as there might be me becoming a pop star singer. It's a safe bet. It's never going to happen. But I couldn't get over the question. Sure, the line I had was funny. I knew my predominantly 30-something male reader would get a laugh out of it. But what struck me was that it was at her expense. She bore the cost of the joke. I was getting the reward. She paid the price. What I realized is that's not the kind of writer that I want to be. Was it funny? Probably, although in reality, that's arguable as well. Would it have worked in the book and for my audience? Probably. It's the kind of thing I know would have been underlined in Kindles and shared in Twitter posts. But there was also something about it that felt deeply wrong. Now, there's nothing wrong with disagreeing with someone in your writing. A lot of the writing that I do tries to challenge cultural ideas or have differing opinions from those that are prevalent in the moment. All writing is really a single contribution to a much larger conversation. A big part of that conversation is disagreements, differences of opinions. Writing has so much of its value in differentiating and clarifying, and a big part of that is disagreement. But credibly and humbly differing in an opinion is a much different thing than poking fun or taking a comedic swipe at someone. Once you determine to recognize it, this writing at another person's expense is absolutely everywhere. It's everywhere because it works. It gets laughs. It gets shared. It clearly defines the boundaries of the club you want to be in and those who count themselves in that club with you. My joke worked because pretty obviously Miley Cyrus and I are both in different clubs. But the danger is people end up becoming ideas. People become brands and positions. We pretty soon lose sight of the people altogether. Last year, I had the opportunity to spend a week at the Mount Hermon Writers Conference. 
While I was there, I met a woman named Crystal Hodges. Crystal was born with a facial birthmark known as a port wine stain. Most of the left half of Crystal's face is marked by a reddish-purple discoloration. Crystal is a great writer and passionate about helping bring dignity and kindness to kids with similar conditions. But for all of her compassion and courage, her story has an incredibly painful moment. Crystal explained how in 2014, a photo of her was stolen from her Facebook and used to create a crude meme. The photo went viral and sparked thousands of comments and shares ranging from graphically crude comments to just painfully mean ones. Crystal has written, Suddenly, 30,000 people were laughing at me on the internet. People would recognize me at the store and restaurants. That was when I first started to hesitate. I almost deleted all of my social media. Talking to Crystal, it wasn't hard to think about just how many memes scroll through my own Facebook and Twitter. I suspect you've seen just as many and probably given similarly little attention to the people behind the photos or videos. All of them jokes paid for by people neither of us know. For that matter, my iPhone has a whole catalog of gifts I can select to speak for me. Some person's vulnerable moment, nothing more than my two-second representation of shock or laughter at someone else's text message. And when it comes to celebrities, we so often assume that somehow being more wealthy or more famous or better looking, being higher on the social ladder, means we're excused in using them for our purposes. Celebrities, by virtue of their wanting to be seen, are somehow free game. Maybe the viral memes we create using their images actually aid their careers, but all the same, I don't want to be a part of it. It's fascinating how the same social media that helps provide deep human connections with distant family and friends can also be used to strip people of their most basic human value, using them instead for cheap laughs. We forget that behind every face there is a person who inevitably sees the reactions and comments and will never have the chance to respond or speak for their own defense, especially not at the scale in which they've now been used. I'm not the kind of person who would create one of those cruel memes. I can't imagine sitting down and coming up with something clever, typing over someone's face and sharing it. I'm not the kind of person who really shares them either. I never click the laugh emoji, for instance. But it turns out, I'll do something very similar from time to time in my writing. I'll ask someone else to pay the price of me looking witty or funny in some joke. There's a great article I'll link to in the show notes, which explains that almost every other language and culture has a word for this sense of delight that we get at someone else's expense. But in English, we have no word for it. We participate in it, but haven't taken the time to own up to it. In the article, Tiffany Watt-Smith writes, Make no mistake, over time and in many different places, when it comes to making ourselves happy, we humans have long relied on the humiliations and failures of other people. In 1640, the philosopher Thomas Hobbes wrote a list of human passions and concluded it with a handful of obscure feelings which, quote, want names. From what passion proceedeth it, he asked, that men take pleasure in beholding from the shore the danger of them that are at sea in a tempest? What strange combination of joy and pity, he wrote, makes people content to be spectators of the misery of their friends? Hobbes' mysterious and terrible passion remained without a name, in the English language at least. In 1926, a journalist in The Spectator asserted that there is no English word for the German equivalent schadenfreude, because there is no such feeling here. But he was wrong, of course. So when we do find this trend occasionally talked about in English, it's often brought up under its German name, schadenfreude. 
You can do a Google search for it yourself and feel free to correct my pronunciation of German. It's spelled S-C-H-A-D-E-N-F-R-E-U-D-E. Of course, you'll find a link in the show notes. Believe it or not, there is actually science behind this conversation, our cheap, self-interested cruelty at another person's expense. Reported in the Washington Post, a 2014 study found that children as young as two were likely to find joy in the misfortune of someone they saw as a rival. As the article explains, if you're wondering how to get a toddler to see another toddler as a rival, it's as simple as making them watch each other cuddle up with one another's moms. Children placed in this scenario were so pleased when they watched their nemesis endure mishaps that some even jumped up and down in glee. It suggests that this darkness, our joy at someone else's expense, is deeply a part of being human and not just something we picked up from the social media culture around us. Psychologists have three theories about why we enjoy dehumanizing one another for our own pleasure. In a study published in New Ideas in Psychology, researchers explained, Psychologists view schadenfreude through the lens of three theories. Envy theory focuses on the concern for self-evaluation and a lessening of painful feelings when someone perceived as enviable gets knocked down a peg. Deservingness theory links schadenfreude to a concern for social justice and the feeling that someone dealt a misfortune received what was coming to them. Intragroup conflict theory concerns social identity and that schadenfreude experienced after the defeat of a member of a rival group, such as during sporting or political competitions. The three motives, put more bluntly, described in that article are jealousy, mob rule, and insecurity. You thought your joke was clever, but really what it did was expose your own vulnerabilities. You propped up your insecurities by forcing a defenseless person to pay the cost. And so we go on sharing all sorts of online memes, videos of people hurting themselves in accidents, all sorts of hilarious news interviews and painful mistakes made by others. We go on laughing and enjoying, feeling better about ourselves because of what we've witnessed in someone else. What seems like a harmless Miley Cyrus joke exposed in me what I was precisely trying to avoid. As the German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer put it, to feel envy is human, but to savor this Scheidenfrade is devilish. As a side note, we really do need an English word for it because you're probably starting to get as tired as I am of my botched German attempts to pronounce the word. Anyways, as you probably know, I'm a Christian and a writer. I want my writing to represent what I believe most deeply. But as I've pointed out on this podcast before, writing so often has the tendency to expose us for who we really are. At times, what my writing exposes is what I'm least proud of in myself. There's nothing less like Christ than elevating myself at the cost of another. There's nothing less Christian than to savor another's pain. Christian writing should be marked by its refusal to participate in this game, but too often, we stumble into the same human traps. Go scroll through your Twitter and see just how much we as Christians use one another to push ourselves up. We mock another's views, using it to find our place. We poke fun to keep from being made fun of. We hide behind our sarcasm. We turn people into opponents and positions and maybe worst of all, doctrines we disagree with. The rest of us go on mindlessly clicking those little hearts in agreement. We do it all to our own shame. But we do it because it works. Our culture gorges itself on the mocking of others. 
It's far more popular than sports or theater or music. Our national pastime is distracting ourselves from ourselves by the exaggerated mockery of others. And as shallow as it is, we live on it. It's enough to keep us alive, but going on atrophied in our own self-understanding, munching on the junk food of gossip and slander all around us. I'm horrified to recognize it here in me too. I like to think I'm not the tabloid-gazing kind, but it turns out I am. What I've discovered from my own writing is that I need a principle more valuable to me than the pragmatics of this cruel but effective dehumanizing work. It may sound silly to you, but I mean it with all honesty. I've started asking myself, what would this person I'm referring to think if they actually read what I'm writing about them? What if Miley Cyrus actually did read my book? Would I say this to her if we happened to run into each other at an airport? If every person in the world decided to read this sentence that I'm writing, even those outside of my doctrinal or demographic club, would I say it the way that I'm saying it? That's not just a question for nameless faces we see on social media. It's a question for the ways we interact with the ideas of celebrities, of politicians, and other writers. If you were invited to the White House, is that tweet really the thing you would have to say? Or is that really the way you would choose to say it? I want to be ruthless with that question. It's a matter of integrity. I want to ask it in conversations that I have, in sermons that I speak, in blog posts I write, and even in books. And if there is ever a joke that is to be made, something funny I want to say, I want to make it at my own expense, not someone else's. If something needs to be laughed at, or mocked, or exposed, or ridiculed, I want to put myself in the position of being the one to take it before anyone else. Never at someone else's expense, only at mine. As a Christian, that's a price I can pay because I know whose I am. I know what I've already received. I know that I don't need to live by the same competitive games of insecurity. And the confidence I have in Christ should compel me to pay the cost before asking another to. Let me wrap up with some advice from the Apostle Paul to the young pastor and teacher Timothy. Paul gives this advice in 2 Timothy 2. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. May we who call ourselves Christians be the first to avoid these ignorant controversies that surround so much of life, to patiently instead endure evil and to treat every person with patience, kindness, and graciousness. For who knows to whom God is granting repentance and truth? Maybe it is that the people who read our writings are the very ones we least expected, and my prayer is that if they do, they'll find the truth, the gospel presented in kindness and love, paid at my expense and not theirs. You've been listening to the Pastor Writer Podcast, episode 55. 
You can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 55. There you'll be able to find links to the articles and research that I quote in this episode. There's so much more that could be said about the topic, so I hope you'll take the time to not only review your own social media, your own writing, but to dig into it, to develop your own principles, and to make your own commitments in the way you write in the future. As always, thanks for listening.